the Mobile Mongo Podcast, where we go behind the scenes in the cheese world to chat with the people making, selling, or distributing your favorite specialty food products. I'm your host, Janae Muha, certified cheese professional, longtime cheesemonger, and producer advocate. Over the last 20 years in the specialty foods industry, we've watched as companies grew from tiny one-person operations to nationally distributed businesses that require a bevy of employees. Some of those brands have in turn become legacy brands. One of the ones I personally enjoyed watching grow into their own was Olympia Provisions. Elias Cairo took his passions for sausage and charcuterie and turned them into a well-respected and notable brand. This road is not an easy one, and I chat with Eli about the twists and turns it took to get to where Olympia Provisions is today. Eli Cairo of Olympia Provisions in beautiful Portland, Oregon. Um, I am the owner and operator of Olympia Provisions. I make the salami and the sausages. Um, how I got into the meat industry, it's kind of interesting. Um, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah to a first generation Greek gentleman named my dad. Um, and we raised animals and we processed them. We hunted a ton of them and we operated restaurants as well. And when I was 17 years old, um, I was shipped off to Switzerland. Excuse me, when I was 17 years old, is when I wanted to become a chef. When I was 18, turning 19, I went to Switzerland and ended up in a, the Swiss Alps in a small little region called the Tokenberg, which I think the cheesemongers out there in the world are starting to recognize that the Obertokenberg is a, I, I'm in the Obertokenberg. The Tokenberg is getting famous for Hollerhocker down in the bottom in the lowlands. Um, but I was essentially on the ridge that separates Appenzeller, which is very famous in America now, and Tokenberg. And I was up in this little valley and I did an apprenticeship under a gentleman named Jäger Stumpf, which is the Jägermeister of the valley up there. That's like the game warden, I guess you'd call him of America. America um, in America. And you know, so we processed all these wild game and I was supposed to be there for six months. Um, I fell in love with it once I realized that they were processing, processing game and my neighbors were some of the best cheese makers in the whole valley. And we had a full bakery and it was in the middle of a ski resort tucked away in a very remote little corner. Um, I was like, I'm not getting out of here. The food is too darn good. Um, so I begged to stay and I did that by like begging or like <laughs> not taking any time off of work pretty much. And like, you know, running across the street to rotate the cheat, the cheat, the neighbor's cheese or throwing their hay or cleaning their stalls. Or like we had a kill facility in the Valley too, where they would do some, you know, small amount of on-farm kills and stuff. And whenever they needed help, I would go down there and like, you know, clean pens and so on and so forth. Um, stayed there for five years, wrapped it up. Um, I was going to live in a small town after my apprenticeship in Switzerland called Grabunden. I wanted to make Butnerfleisch, that's air-cured beef. Um, and then uh, it was pretty sweet. It had no refrigeration. It had, uh, it had slatted floors and windows to dry everything. And a river it ran through the, the house to, hum to provide humidity. And it was, you know, a couple hundred years old. And I'm like, this is sweet. I could learn how to do this and be okay with it. And then my sister called me from this town called Portland, Oregon. 
I think it's a small fishing village on the west coast of America. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, no, uh, we were living in Salt Lake prior to this, and she got a job up here. And she's like, Eli, you got to come visit this place. You're going to love it. They really take food serious. Um, they make amazing wine. The beer is unreal. And I was like, okay. I didn't believe her at all, but I was like, all right, I'll come visit you. Sounds fun. Um, and she took me to the Portland farmer's market. And this is a very, very true story. I was walking around the market and this is, I think, 2005, four, not sure, somewhere in there, four or five before I moved back. Anyways, uh, I met a gentleman named, I don't know if he was there, but I tried a little cheese called Rogue River Blue Cheese or Blue Cheese from Rogue River. And I couldn't believe it was American made. And I was like, wait a second, this is selling here. And they're like, yeah, we're selling the heck out of it. And I was like, that's amazing. Um, we went around and like tried all the organic mosh. And I had like a, as it's, it's almost laughable now, but it was so delicious as a Widmere Hefeweizen. And I was like, damn. Like, that was, that was a big thing in that time. Widmere so was, yeah still is darn fine like yeah. it's still darn fine fine beer and i was like wait a second this this is all happening and then i mentioned to my sister like we should get some salami because we're going on a picnic and i was a big fan because i'm spending so much time making it i got to check out if people are eating this blue cheese what the salami situation is in america didn't have any at the farmer's market nobody was making it apparently at the time and then we went to whole foods and that was like the first time i saw you know fake salami where it was covered in milk powder and rice flour to make it look like mold and it was like super tangy and sour and i was like holy hell how are people eating this amazing blue cheese and at the same time not caring what salami tastes like and then told my sister i'm moving back to open up a company called olympia provisions fast forward now here we are Boom. Done. Easy. <laughs> it wasn't quite that easy, but that's how I got into the meat industry. Yeah. So like even there's even one interesting thing that happened during that apprenticeship I, uh, is uh, I was cleaning the floors in the kitchen and somebody came in and threw a snowball. I was mopping and I slipped and I caught myself on the French top. And so I burnt the heck out of my hands. And it, you know, I like showed up the next day because it was after service, and they were like, "Whoa, how? What happened to your hands?" I'm like, yeah, "I found the French top." Long story. And they're like, "Well, you got to work. We need you to work. We're not going to just like put you like on the DL. You have to like actually work." And so they took marmot fat. They used to shoot a lot of marmots that were up in there, and they coated my hands in marmot fat and wrapped my hands in butcher glove. And they're like, "You're just going to go into the butcher shop and cut and make pfeffer and sausage," and. That's what I did. And during that time, that was like year one, I was there. I was like, wow, this whole butcher, these cooks are running around like crazy. looks like a pretty stressful gig. We're just kind of hanging out and at the time smoking cigarettes, <laughs> but cutting up animals and, you know, being efficient, but this is a little bit better. So I continued my cooking apprenticeship, but I was like the whole time, I'm like, this is way better back here, cutting up meat and making sausage. <laughs> so fast forward to now. Well, here we are. Yeah, less running around when you're uh, when you have a big yeah. side of meat in front of you that you need to process. <laughs> way more lifting, but way less run, way less stress. You know, gosh, cooking and running a kitchen is so stressful, and it's so awesome. The, you know, the swap off is, is that our jobs are so monotonous, right? It's every day. You know, like you're cutting and lifting and moving and trying to master perfection. And 
uh, cooking job and I, you know when you go line cook or run a kitchen it's like every day you're just like wow my hair caught on fire 13 times but the day's over and jesus it was so fun so it's, it's they're both pretty cool <laughs> uh, well i like this idea that i could have probably sold you some of that salami from whole foods in 2004 or whatever because yeah. that's when i moved back home mm-hmm to Portland. So, yep. and actually my hometown was supposed to be the Portland of Oregon, but it didn't work out. St. Helens was St. Helens was supposed to be the like main port of Oregon, but it nice didn't work out. Nice up there. Like it's okay. It. I mean, it's my hometown. So, you know, <laughs> you, <have to> <laughs> <laughs> you, you kind of have to hate your hometown. So how did that train? Okay. So like you experienced this amazing european mm-hmm. ideal how did you transfer that into olympia provisions you know that's a great question uh so i came back and i was very very lucky i i, I came back with zero money i was like right out of the apprenticeship had no like uh no way to start a business and my sister's always been in finance and um i came back and um told my sister what I wanted to do about the meat company. And she's like, yeah, that's great. Um, maybe you should get a job to get the, the money. And so I, only thing I could do, I, I was going to process wild meat in the fall and I was going to go work in a butcher shop. But then I also still had my Swiss chef's degree, you know? And so I got a job at a rad restaurant down here called Castagna because I was like, a chef is still something that could be pretty cool. Um, and I, walked into Castagna and it was, you know, it was, it was, I was so, I just pinched myself that I like landed in that kitchen, you know, because Monique and Kevin cared so much about the farmers, agriculture, the foragers, the fisheries and making amazing food. And it, it felt so much like I stepped out of Switzerland, had like a hot two minute break in Portland, Oregon, and then was right back in the European life of, you know, cooking all day and making awesome things. And I told him, told her very clearly on that my goal was to open up like a salami shop and she loved it. She was like, that's great. Whatever we can do to support you in that and so on. And so that, you know, that, that was supposed to be a quick stint, but I slowly but surely became the executive chef there and all the while working in the evening to try to figure out how to like navigate the USDA. Like what is a CFR? Like what is the code book to how to become it? So, you know, what is a HACCP plan? All those basic things. And, uh, I just started studying. Like I was so obsessed. I would work as a chef, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. And then I wouldn't take vacations and work on the weekend and just learn CFR and take HACCP classes and try to figure out fermentation all the while squirreling away as much money as I possibly could, which was as a chef in Portland in the early 2000s was no money, (laughs) like no money. It was easier then than it is now though. I feel like oh yeah to make yeah you're right squirrel away money yeah rent rent was was a lot cheaper back then yeah (laughs) rent was rent was rent was way cheap it was really 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 cheap and like paps were a dollar so it was pretty cool like no it was it was a way fun time to be in Portland Oregon and you're just surrounded by so many people that were just hungry for it in like the 2007s, 8s, 9s down here right when the recession hit Portland kind of hit its stride of people willing to try stuff so yeah, then at that time, my, my one of the cooks at Castagna was Nate Tilden, and he opened the Clyde Commons, 
And uh, we kept close contact. He knew what I wanted to do. I was very clear on what I wanted to make. And he had the opportunity. He found some little bit of money himself. And then I went to my sister and was like, hey, I need a little money. And then we opened up in 2009. Uh, 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 I'm a little bit of money for my sister. And then in 2009, I opened up a 900 square foot, uh, one man USDA approved charcuterie shop where I could ferment meat naturally and cover it in mold and sell it over state lines. And it was to the best of everybody in the USDA and my knowledge, the first one in the history of the state, which was really cool. And I thought I was going to lose my mind. <laughs> it was just, it was, you know, I think, I think that a lot of these startup companies and especially in the meat world at that time, it was like, man, it's, it's hard to, rub two pennies together plus you're dealing with the usda plus you're trying to figure it all out and i didn't have like a backstop of cash so i was like you know i remember in like six this is actually part of it in like seven months eight months in and i was just i was only buying whole animals from farmers because it's big in my ethos and I, I just think that's the way life should be and i was like just scraping pennies and just watching this bank account just do this and i was working more than you know, I've ever worked in my life, like going to the farmer's markets every night and then like scrubbing the floors, had to be there at 5.30, you know, and trying to do a wholesale call when I didn't even have salami to meet, like sell, like it was just silly. And my restaurants were really busy and restaurant was really busy. And I was just like, what am I doing? Had no money. And I literally thought I was gonna have to get a second job. I like went to Nate Tilden and then I'm like, I, I think I'm gonna have to like bar back and I'm gonna start um, doing early morning barista at Stumptown. True story. I was like, and they, and they were like, well, you know, everybody, you're selling everything you produce. Um, people seem to really enjoy it right now. Um, maybe we should like loan you a couple thousand bucks to squeeze you through a few months. And I'm like, all right. And during that time, Michelle Cairo uh, heard about the Good Food Awards. You might've heard of them as well. They're pretty radical. <laughs> Um, and she can, and I, and I was also doing a lot of like internal struggle with it. Like I just spent all these, you know, my, my sister's money and had all these people kind of invest what I thought at the time was a really good chunk of money. And I was like, wow, I'm created a molded meat and everybody wants to merchandise my salami on top of their fucking counter. And everybody's telling me that I got to cook it and smoke it and make sure there's no mold and cryovac it. And, you know, I was like, what did I do? Like, what, what in the hell did I do with myself to do that? Like, why would I, why? Um, and I was just having a lot of struggles. And anyways, my sister shipped those and convinced me to send three products to, and a, and a jar of pickles to the Good Food Awards. And they all won. And one of them was the saucisson de Arl, just the sea salt and mold salami. And I was like, if, if I can get Americans just to, you know, love the quality of pork, and mold and not a tangy like sour bomb salami holy hell like there's a chance and that they people had no clue who i was tried it and it won i was like hot damn i might be onto something yeah that was cool and then flew to i had to borrow more money from my sister to get my airplane ticket to san francisco i think i crashed on one of my friends uh uh couches one of nate tilden's friends and we bought a bottle of whiskey because we had like not a lot of whole lot of food, ate a lot of salami, and we sold a shit ton of salami at uh what is that, the mercantile that they used to throw in that year one, right out in front of the ferry building down there. And uh 
like Sam from Firelight inquired about buying my salami and I was like dying because I, you know, I, I knew of the myth and Whole Foods. And there's like this starting company being like, hey, we're opening up a company called Italy. They're like, your salami tastes like Italy. Would you ever co-pack? And I was like, I don't even know what co-pack is. Like, <laughs> it was just a whole, Sam actually asked me for my first wholesales uh, like credit app or whatever you call. And I literally texted my sister while I was there being like, Michelle, like this guy wants a wholesale credit app. What is that? <laughs> Anyways, that's how I got into the beat industry. Is that, is that what you're hoping for? Did we cover it all? <laughs> um, I guess just more in tune with um, how do you keep that European vision in what uh, you do with OP now. Yeah, that's 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 kind of hilarious in my world because I I am so obsessed with it that I think that if you work for me, uh, by by it I mean tradition and traditional products and products that have stood a time, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition and that, you know, I think every salesperson's like, Eli, you should make a kimchi hot dog. And I'm like, man, I just want to make the perfect Frankfurter. You know, like I want to make a saucy sunset. I do not want unicorn horn and like pop rocks in my <laughs> salami. So like, to, to me, I, I, I find that it's, there's just such a beauty in those traditionally made things that are just not for wow factor that don't necessarily follow a trend per se. And so and, and, and to me to really get better at that and to like try to really enforce that it goes it goes from the techniques like I the whole meat industry in America as far as I'm concerned is all built on margin and speed and that has little to do with tradition or flavor or decadence or trying to create create something unique and that's just what I've always wanted to do you know I don't ever want to get rich playing another human's game so it's like hey this is what we do now we're gonna try to make it you know, as, as, as good as we possibly can. But yeah, I don't, I don't do anything that's not traditional. You know, it used to fascinate me. Like I'd, I'd walk across the street. You guys, do you know, is the, the, the foster case from Unterwasser, it came to America a few years ago. I would see it in some, do you know that cheese by chance? It's a spruce bound cheese from the Tokenberg. Yeah. You can still get it on the East coast um, yeah. seasonally, but we don't see it too often on this side. Yeah. And like Kirby's, there's these cheesemakers, right. That were like my, my freaking neighbors and, and even like the Putner flesh guy where they were just always so content making, you know, seasonal products, of course, things that rotated throughout the year, but being like so content on every year, trying to get better at their product and so happy with it. I don't know how to explain it, but I was like, why would I, why would I be trying to make like, ginseng something that's out of my wheelhouse that is i'm not going to outsmart these humans like they've been working on these recipes and these you know the flavor profiles forever you know salami etna like the first time i ate a salami etna where it's sea salt lemon zest and pistachio i'm like that's that's perfection because they've been growing lemons and pistachio and sea salt in this region forever now i just want to mimic it and It'll probably take my whole life till I'm like, Ooh, I, I did it. Look at that. That tastes just perfect. I'll walk away from it. But yeah, that's the thing about, I mean, trends, they, they fade and like yeah. traditional good products stand the test of time. That's just, I, I, I think that's true. Yeah, I do. And I, you know, like I, I, I do, I think being a salesperson for me is frustrating as I think that, you know, every human being is going to, has gone up to my dick. You guys need to start slicing. 
um, synthetic casings, cover your, you know, cover your milk powder, cryovacuum, make them shelf stable. Have you heard about the snacking category? And you're just like, fuck me. Like, God, did you not like, I could, <laughs> by the way, we're doing okay. We're staying this course. Well, I mean, it, it would be different if you guys didn't seem as successful as you are right now. So true. Talk to me later. And when I'm like poor, I'll be like, yeah, if you tried my, <laughs> whatever it is (laughs) no so i've had the fortunate ability to come and visit and get an eli special tour of the new plant oh cool new ish i guess six years now yeah it's been a while i mean the last two and a half years are kind of a wash but you know whatever we'll just wipe those out yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but the one of the things that i was really impressed with was um, the humanity that you actually put into all of your products where you create the spice mixes on hand right then and there, everything is hand wrapped. Um, how do you maintain that with the growth that you guys have had over the last, especially few years, but just like, how do you put that into mm-hmm. your daily practice and make it work with as much growth as you've had? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, Gosh, you know, it's like, for one, I, first and foremost, I have to say, I've been very, very, very unbelievably fortunate in like the, what is this, my 14th year now? Um, I still have my original two employees, Josh uh, Graves and Paul Ofliger. Paul Ofliger is QAQC and Josh Graves is the plant manager. And, you know, as soon as I hired my first two guys to work with me back there, we've always kind of set the tone of like, hey, we just want to make delicious products like this is we want this is the way we go about it and none of us were you know from the manufacturing backgrounds per se but we were definitely from the picky we want to work hard backgrounds and like set up a tone and uh you know i'm 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 stubborn and i bet it's super hard you know in some worlds if i were to be the only person on this team being like no this is the way we make it but it all goes back to like uh you know tasting it. it if if we can make it faster and quicker and it tastes better then we would do it we just haven't figured that out yet so like if if like somebody creates a pre-chopped rosemary that contains all the oil that i don't have to pick it and i can make it through my process and on the end product Polly, josh and anybody that can sit down and taste it and not point to it taste better then i'll freaking use it i'm not an idiot but i just can't like it just ha- we haven't found it so we kind of, that's always just been in our core, right? You know, it, and it, it's so easy to get caught up into the speed and margin and profit over quality. And most people probably don't notice and so on and so forth. It's really easy to convince yourself into that. Um, but part of me dies when like, <laughs> if, if I go out there and I'm tasting my stuff and I'm like, yeah, God, you know, it would taste like dry garlic. My mortadella would suck. You know, my Frankfurter wouldn't be cool if I didn't use real smoke, you know, like I, I just wouldn't be stoked on it in any which way. Therefore it wouldn't hopefully hit people's mouths, but that's, that's kind of it. So that's, it's always been in the tone that it, and it's like the, the thing is, is even Michelle, she's the one that has to make this pencil, but she understands like it's part of what we have. And so she's always pushing this like nutmeg, for example, like, you know, grading nutmeg is a very, tiresome thing 
And where she was like, you guys need to use dried nutmeg. Hey, the spice guy, I have a spice expert from Florida. He says, nobody can taste the difference. We're like, all right, well, let's just try it. Tried it and would four of us get it right that the fresh growing nutmeg in a blind tasting tastes better in the product after it ferments? She just doesn't say anything. And she's like, well, just figure out how to make it faster. And that's what we do. You know, that, and, and with that comes scale. You know, there's this, there is this weird... Uh, I think I think there's a lot of people out there in the artisanal world that'll agree with me. There, it, there's there's if you scale too fast, you can definitely lose sight of it. If you if you get all of the toys immediately, you're you're gonna lose it. But if you slowly but surely add them on strategically when you really really need them to address like a bottleneck in your production, it's easier to make better products. You know that, but if you get them all at once and you're like, "Hey, I just got this big investment for X, Y, and Z. I bought 17 dry boxes. I didn't build any of my stuff. I got all these new smokehouses." Uh, voila, you know. But no, for me, it's like it, it was harder to make 300 pounds of salami and a small little hand crank sausage in a in a batch consistently as opposed to like the toys we have to play with now, bull choppers and uh, you know charting thermometers you name it <laughs> all that cool data that i get a nerd out with now it's it's pretty fun well i think sense? that i think that people can taste it and that's why your products are revered so oh, thank you because that that comes through i appreciate that so um in doing a little bit of research i mean obviously i have worked with olympic provisions for many years now but i was looking over the website and I saw all of the stuff about the farmer's network and mm -hmm. the wealth of information that was on the website. And mm -hmm. I would love it if you could just talk about that a little bit and what is that and what are you guys yeah. doing with that? That also could be a whole other podcast. Absolutely. In, in the world. And I'm more, I'm, I'm into that podcast. Please let me know when you want me to sign up, you know, the, how, where should I even start with this? Let's, let's just be very, very, very clear about one thing the vegetarians and the anti-meat industry people in America are 100% right. The meat industry is fucked. It is so disgusting. It is horrible to animals and it is really bad on the environment. The current way that we're using animals to produce protein for a cheap output and wasting part of that product is not the way I envision running a meat company. And um, I also would say that it's bad for humans too. For sure. Ingesting that level uh, of ingesting yeah. the antibiotics the the human element of dealing with animals at that at that level and confinement and slatted floors and all of that there's nothing about that that's beautiful good sustainable or anything i want to support so yeah and i also don't agree that that's the way it has to be and so uh I've always, and I've always tried to figure this out. I mean, the, the, the first time I've tried to buy whole herds of animals and work out a trade where I could utilize all of them was 2010. And it's taken me some time to scale to the point where I can actually partner with people like Whole Foods or a Burgerville or a kill facility that's going to hear me out because I could bring a hundred head a week to actually listen to me to try to make this pencil. Um, so long story short is that I have... Um, a group of farmers that are all pasture raised up here in the Northwest. That means all the pigs of their entire life out on pasture that are gap four or three verified. Um, then I have a kill facility that's working for me currently. Um, and in the current, the current thing is, is that the people that try to pull these off are like say a whole foods, for example, 
where they're not a charcuterie maker. So they're trying to bring a whole hog animal program into a grocery store setting. And so now they're stuck with trim, belly fat, you name it. And they're trying to sell it to the people that only want pork chops, so on and so forth. At the base of what I make, if you, if you take charcuterie maker, Salumas name out of it, you're a value added meat maker. I take all the romance out, I just add value to it. So my whole job is to be able to utilize everything from this animal and bring value to it. <clears throat> so we started challenging ourselves, being like, if I'm gonna buy these whole animals, how do we get as close to zero waste from it completely so I don't have to do the traditional thing? Go to the farmers and say, hey, you know what? It's not penciling. Uh, you guys have to lower your prices. And then what will they do? They'll buy horrible feed, confine their animals, they'll keep their waste in confinement, they will pump antibiotics into these animals so they don't get disease and have higher yields, so on and so forth. Um, and uh, the way that we did that is I decided to make a pet treat out of everything. See, that's kind of a trend. Look at me go. <laughs> my dogs love them. They, Thank you. Thank you. I can't even open a bag in my kitchen right now without them like coming at me full speed for them. So that's awesome. Yeah. So it, it literally was, it was like how, how there's so much waste in the animal world right now in the meat world, like the bones and everything so much goes to render. And how is, how is all this gap for such a limited amount of pasture raised pork on the West coast? How are we throwing away any of it? How am I not utilizing everything? So to really make a pencil, I made the pet treat. And then I made my farmer's network product that I really wanted to tell people. I thought it was very, very important to be having this conversation right here that not animals are that the meat industry is probably the ultimate. I mean, I think there's a lot of that are pretty bad at greenwashing, but the meat industry could possibly be the king of saying like, Hey, we're doing it right in the Northwest. We do it right. And there is nobody up here even trying. And there's nobody up here that doesn't have pigs in confinement. And there's a lot of, a lot of we are doing in the meat industry to hide it. And, uh, I, you know, so I wanted to be having this conversation with the people that know, you know, like namely, for example, I think the heritage is, is one of my favorite, you know, like greenwashing terms that you'll see on a lot of charcuterie packaging right now. A lot of my peers are utilizing that. And I've sat on panels where I've heard them utilize this as being, we use heritage hawks and you're like, that's great. So you put a purebred in a puppy mill and now all of a sudden it's good for the environment. Like that makes, that doesn't pencil one bit. Like don't, don't, don't come at me with heritage as long as you're using antibiotics and cutting their ears off and clipping their tails and nose so they can't bite each other and pumping them full of antibiotics. That, that means nothing to me. Come to me with the way your farmer's raising them, what he's rotating them, what they're doing to better their land and why the texture tastes better in the winter and the summer. And now I will officially get off my soapbox. I apologize. <laughs> no, I think it's fantastic because it is a conversation that I think people need to have. And I think it's also important for consumers to understand because Consumers are always like kind of one step ahead of industry in many ways in terms of, you know, we see it in the cheese world where consumers have heard uh, grass fed, you know, is best for cows and for cheese or whatever. And you can get a New Zealand grass fed, but why can't we can't get like Pacific Northwest grass fed cheeses? Right. And so they like drive the market, but they don't understand the back end of things and how mm -hmm. um, the industry isn't quite there yet and also like it's also really wet here and it's kind of hard to have grass fed all year round for cows so yeah and you know it's more about like like the, the dairy world is like they, they're creating more creative in the cheese world to treating the animals 
humanely and having positive impact if it isn't only on grass fed as opposed to the meat industry where they're just like let it rip boys <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry but i think it's just an important conversation with consumers to understand that like how long it has taken you if you said you started working on this in 2010 yeah. and it's like 2022 now and you're finally just starting to really get this program mm -hmm. kind of off the ground and i don't think that people realize um, where we are in the back end of the industry. Yeah. So, and where, yeah, it's, it's, it's the consumer that will dictate it. You know, like if, if I would have been able to start this chain of farmers and been able to charge top dollar of what it would actually truly cost to make all this hell happen without making a pet tree, I probably wouldn't, but there, I, the whole goal isn't, at least for me, isn't to make a Frankfurter that not everybody can afford. I don't want to price myself out of it because that's counterproductive too. I'm not going to actually have a, a big impact that I can show, hey, look at this with being a little bit more responsible with having better contract and you know being efficient with it and not wasting. Um, it's actually a, a comparable model. Maybe more people would be interested to like moving pigs on pasture if they were just were X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Well, um, we'll definitely have a more in-depth conversation about this at another point, but also I found that your guys's website was so Great. such a wealth of information. I was actually kind of shocked at how the timeline, everything is like mm -hmm. really transparent. And I really appreciate that because we don't get that very often from uh, companies. So that's a, that's a big part of it too. It's like, you know, how many people told me not to make a pet treat with my brand on it? Like 98% of the people, like, this is a bad idea. Like, like, like you're, you're a high end specialty salami maker. They're going to, they're going to, they're not going to care about your story. They're going to think of you as just a money hungry person that's trying to branch out. And I'm sure a lot of people do see that. But to me, I wanted the people to understand that there's so much waste in these, you know, to have more opportunity to show that people are wasting a lot of these amazing animals. Like, have that conversation it should be a little different i mean if i were to go to switzerland to some of the shops that i worked with and i would show the waste that was at a kill facility out of not like we're good at processing quickly and you know capturing the important things but just the rest of rendering and what people are doing with it you're they would just be like what like this will never pencil you, you know you guys are too young we have too much to ruin like it just wouldn't work so yeah it's well, and shocking. if I care about good food for myself, but I also care about good food for my animals too. So oh. they eat well also. So of course I'm going to be like, yeah, I want Ellen food provision, pet treats for my dogs too. I agree with you. And it's made and you've been to this plant. Like it is a USDA third person audited. This is a clean facility. And those, those, those sausages, if there were salt in them would be really good. Like, they smell delicious they, they every time i open so it i'm like i just kind of want to pop one in my mouth anyway but I, we they're totally like safe and they're like, it, like michelle my other sister my other sister my only sister the ceo the girl the one the, the woman that runs this amazing place uh is uh she's like you should just do this for collagen like collagen's so hot right now like this is so healthy and i'm like oh god <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right they're like yeah anyways so what do you see for the future of Olympic provisions? Like, where do you see it going? Are you just going to keep trucking along or you have uh, more plans coming at us? 
Yeah, you know, the, the as I as I scale this, I want I you know as I scale the farmers network, you know, currently I'd say we probably have one of the largest pasture raised pork networks on the entire West Coast, which is shocking for a bunch of liberal people that want to improve the environment. That the small little company has maybe the best you know, the, the opportunity to make such positive impact. Um, I want to, you know, com- continue my goal to like vertically integrate has a bad idea, like not saying that I'm like trying to buy all the farms or X, Y, and G, but I want to ensure the longevity of it. And that, that is, that is, that's tricky. I don't, you know, that what's the ultimate Wendell Berry quote, like if you're, if you accomplish something that actually improves agriculture in your lifetime, it wasn't ambitious enough and it won't last. Like there's, there's a way that I, like I see us in the Northwest taking this model and having the infrastructure built that this is part of what happens up here or on the West coast, you know, like, Hey, these farmers actually make a livelihood using pigs to remove invasive species, to improve their land by fully utilizing them. And it's a thing. You know, it makes the best charcuterie in the world. Like the pork that is going in here tastes better because of X, Y, and Z. And if you deviate from these standards, it's going to suck. It would produce, you know, a DOP of what our product standards are Um, and how to do that. Now that's a, that's a lifetime of work. So that, you know, making sure I'm continuing making the best salami, but continue to work on actually what makes the product, what it is and how it actually has a, long-term positive impact in this whole place so that is what my i'll get that action item i'll do that next week (laughs) well it's a good thing you've already got a foot in the right direction so yeah and you know you know this is just my my, this is my newest version of how i'm going to make it work and if you've if you've ever built anything you know that hey it's it's it it might not it'll it may look totally different by time i say there it is you know it might be who knows but yeah, that, you know, as soon as I get this dialed with pork, obviously we're still in cattle country up here. There's a huge opportunity to, to utilize some of these amazing beef farmers up here, ranchers that have really good practices and really amazing beef and don't have a way to bring it to market with a value added product. And I know how to make as much charcuterie out of beef as I do pork. And so let me dial this out and then start working on Cap four pasture raised beef with a positive impact up here and supporting that 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 part as well. Delightful. Yeah. Um, so we have ACS coming up at the end of July. Um, how much are we gonna meet party at ACS? I, I, how much am I gonna party? How much are we all gonna meet party? Mm-hmm. Is what I'm yeah. saying. I if the good food awards uh little one night, what is that called? The mercantile yeah uh, was any kind of glimpse into it i'm officially scared like i think people have been locked up for way too long and have lost control of how to not have i mean the fun button got turned on and it didn't turn off at all that whole weekend so i think that it's going to be a great goddamn time and i think portland will be ready for it by then you know like (laughs) we getting everybody together this town can really show a good time we do pretty good truly truly i think it's gonna be really really fun i mean hopefully i'm sure we'll do a lot of things around i'm i wish alexis was here because i bet she knows exactly what we're gonna be doing (laughs) i like that you just get to show up and be yeah you know like we sit in those meetings of like hey what should we do and i you know what should we do and i was like probably eat a lot of meat (laughs) 
get everybody all comfortable and a lot of beverages and let them have a good time. And they're like, okay, but how? And I'm like, well, see now I'm gonna go make some sausage. (laughs) 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 They're they're way better sales. You know, as as I am for, if COVID has done anything for me for a benefit, it's sales being able to sell without me on the road and marketing being able to market without me having to leave so I can be here and work on the network and work on your plant and like you know make it a viable thing that I don't want to like come home and be like what am I doing has just been a blessing and so they're so good at it like I yeah. sales sells way better than I can sell like I can go and tell you a story about oh in Switzerland blah 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 but like <laughs> they sell they sell delicious stuff well, I've never had a bad time at an Olympia Provisions party, so there's that. That's in our Greek heritage. My, you know, my mom would make dinner for the neighborhood and it would like be on a Tuesday and people would be leaving our house at five in the morning because it's just, we can't, we don't know how to turn that button off. We're going to have a good time. <laughs> kind of wrapping this up, but is there anything about Olympia Provisions that we didn't talk about that you feel people really need to know about? Um, no, I mean, I don't know. There's amazing people that work here, you know, I'm I'm very, very proud of, uh, what we've done. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's family owned. We've done a lot to keep the, or we've tried our hardest and have succeeded in keeping it completely privately owned and without any outside investment. So we still can be mission driven. Um, we try our hardest to invest. We're going to, we're in the middle of being B Corp certified, um, and what I really like about that too, is that puts a nice gauge on how we treat our employees. You know, that's, it's, 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 it's easy to say you're doing a good job, but to have your processes audited and make sure you're paying, you know, consistently in your benefit package and all those important things that shows that you're operating correctly is coming along has been awesome. Um, what else is there? I don't know. We all, we operate restaurants. <laughs> very delicious restaurants yeah very fun 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 restaurant so if you guys are coming to portland please eat at them um, i don't doubt i know that they will good we'll we'll make sure we order extra <laughs> <laughs> um okay so i always end with three simple questions love it S- simple ish questions uh-huh. uh kind of speed round great you ready well, to go speed's not my forte but yes That's we'll get okay. that that's okay. Uh, first one, what is your current cheese crush? Uh, current cheese crush. What, what cheese are you loving on these days? God, like I'm such a, I'm such a rogue guy that I like, I love the rogue blue cheeses across all of them. Um, I would say that that's the cheese that is in my fridge year round always because I, I grow so many vegetables and I like put blue cheese on everything. And I think I think any smoked meat is just darn fine with blue cheese. And so uh, I'm going to just stick with Rogue is, if that's okay. Is that's that more than okay. Fine? This is your cheese crush, not mine. Yeah, God dang it. No it, judgment it, here. And also it makes like, sense. But I did, I did. The upland stuff, of course, is Alpcasey things. Like, my God, it's nice to get transported to uh, 
freaking Switzerland and be like, what is this? How did this, how was this made here? So, so, so unbelievably delicious. Yeah, that's, those are good. What else, what else is there? I've been in the wintertime. I just got out of this, but I baked so much spruce rind cheese and dip salami into it that it's, it's probably not healthy. I know it's not healthy. There are worse things you could be doing with your body. That's true. true. (laughs) I get really excited for the robiolas when our cherries are here too. Like there's something about that, that I'm like, so I'm not, that's not my current crush but I'm excited for it. So yeah. Like, it's your soon I have, crush. I have a crush on something. <laughs> yeah. It's your summer crush. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Next one. Favorite cheese pairing. Favorite cheese pairing besides cherries and Robiola. God, let's do I mean that, that you could do, you could say that if that's what you want, but well, I fucking love, and this is a very, very Swiss thing and I can't get enough of it is rocklets and caraway kind of as like a spicy flavory like goodness thing i don't know why that is and and uh um, cold beer um, <laughs> i could drink that or eat and drink that for hours over potatoes is like uh probably my favorite cheese experience so just rocklet with a shit ton of caraway beer perfect be it perfect my wife's um, a winemaker so she's probably pissed that i didn't <laughs> Well, and you could have also said any of your own products too with cheese. So, you know, but (laughs) let's let's reflect back earlier in the story when I'm like, the sales hates me. (laughs) Uh, Okay. The last one, Mm -hmm. like your top food memory, what is like the thing that you look to as being like, that was the ultimate in like a moment of eating something delicious or cooking something with someone, just the moment that really stands out in your head first thing. Yeah. Uh, I was lucky enough after my, the year after my apprenticeship to go to the Greek islands for Easter and in Greek Orthodox religion, Easter is a big thing. And we make an amazing dish called kleftiko, which is you take a, it's like, there's not really a recipe for it, but I was on a Greek Island uh, the whole village came over to this tiny little part that we were staying at and they all had their own village, their own recipe. And we built this gigantic fire in a pizza oven. And so you put like a whole animal in a pot. We killed baby goats that morning and like your beans and people have were putting grapevines and whole things. And then we all, you put a dough, like a pita dough over the top of it and everybody loaded it into this pizza oven and then you suffocate it and then you all go party. And then you go out that night because Easter happens that evening. And in this village, you try to wake them up using dynamite. And so we were like launching dynamite till you know, bazooki bands and Greek dancing through it. And then it dawned on me that we had spent the whole day prepping food and like everybody slowly but surely migrated out to watch the sunrise over the Mediterranean and break into this pizza oven and like all the farmers brought their amazing feta and it was like a 40 top of all night drunk Greeks there just eating epic lamb and crumbling cold cheese on it and I'm like god this is this is it. Like, this is what food's about right here. They've been doing this thing for thousands and thousands of years. And I can see why they look forward to that. And so that, that, that I'll go with that. That's a, My that's family. a great one. Yeah, it was pretty good. And I like that. I mean, I've talked to quite a few people and this is completely different than anybody else's that I've heard. So I, oh, love good. That. <laughs> I also feel like Greek, uh, Greece is like hit, uh, tourist um attraction currently because i have like multiple friends in greece right now 
Oh, good. That makes me happy. It's the it, Greece is an amazing place. It, it makes me very cool. jealous because they're showing pictures of like the clearest blue water and like I'm just like, why yeah. can't I be there right now? Yeah, I, I don't. My shop, my sister gets to go back, or she doesn't get to. She goes back every year um, for like my my uncle's name day and my dad's village. Man, every year I don't go because it's during hunting season. And I'm like, my God, what am I doing out here freezing, looking for elk? I could be just sitting, eating wild boar. Who knows? But yeah. Who knows? Well, thank you so much for talking with me. It was a pleasure, always a pleasure to chat with you and also get a little bit more um, info about the Farmers Network and all of the great things that Olympia Provisions is doing. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you doing all this for all of our little producers at VR. We really need folk like you to help us make sure there's a difference between us and everybody else is trying to do it. <laughs> Eli's commitment to quality and authenticity is something I hope inspires others to follow in those footsteps. It's not always the easiest route to take, but it usually ends up being the tastiest and most beneficial for those working so hard behind the products. Thanks, Eli, for always sharing your vision and keeping it at the forefront of everything OP does. This podcast is recorded, produced, and edited by me, Janae Muha. Thank you to Ben Muha for allowing me to use your music. Follow along on my cheesy adventures at Instagram, Facebook, or get more content at Patreon website is also a great place to find out what's going on. Thanks for listening. And remember to keep spreading the word of good curd.